Welcome back to the Jake Beckett Show podcast, back in the house for another great episode this week. Uh, just to recap, uh, last night did a really exciting space uh, on Twitter. It was my first time ever participating in a Twitter space. It was really outstanding. It was put together by my good friend, the Bowtie Ranger, uh, also co-hosting with Sovereign Bra Chase, if you watch the Whatever podcast or you're familiar with some of his content, he's fantastic. The topics were wide-ranging. Um, you know, mostly dealing with, uh, you know, what's happening in our world and our country from a Christian worldview, particularly the worldview of a young male Christian. Uh, Michael Foster from the East River Church in Ohio joined us. Uh, he's the author of um, It's Good to Be a Man. We had some fantastic conversations, some great questions from some Twitter subscribers, um, and it was really interesting. So go check that out. That was from last night, uh, or I guess it was uh, Tuesday night, 13th. Um, a, a few days before this is airing. But the subject matter uh, that I want to get into this week on the podcast uh, is something that I hope you'll find interesting. It's something I've been following for uh, a couple of years now, um, and it's been in the news in the world of sports and business. And this is the big merger between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. So I want to get into uh, what this means, uh, you know, obviously I come from a sports background. I was a former NFL football player. Uh, slightly different business situation, um, you know, between the NFL and the PGA Tour and live. You know, the NFL, um, you know, is a uh, is a is a um, it, labor, and the, and the NFL is represented by the NFL Players Association, the Players Union. Um, the NFL is owned by the 32. Uh, individual owners and their families. They're represented by the commissioner, Roger Goodell. It's a slightly different structure in golf. Obviously, there's no owners in, in professional golf. The players are the owners themselves. The tour is structured or was structured as a 501c6 nonprofit, which is kind of a strange entity, uh, especially considering they were trying to ban some of their members from competing in a different marketplace. Um, but anyway, I want to I want to you know go back a bit to the beginnings um, you know, kind of the history of, of professional golf, how we got here, uh, what this uh, new merger investment means. Obviously, a lot of details are still to be determined, but I, I find this very fascinating. You know, someone who was uh, who, who tried to get involved at least a little bit uh, on the business side of the National Football League. I was always fascinated by our collective bargaining process. Um, you know, I did my best with the dumpster fire that is the NFL Players Association. That's a subject for a different podcast. Um, but anyway... I love golf. Golf has is, is always been a big part of my life. My grandpa and dad play golf. I grew up playing golf. My brothers, I still play golf to this day. It's one of my, one of my favorite sports uh, to play. I don't really watch golf that much. I watch the majors. Again, we'll kind of get into the, why that is. Um, but I, I find this process very interesting from a sports and a business perspective, and I hope you will too. I'm sure there are some golf fans out there uh, in, the, in the listener base, listeners to the Jake Beckett Show podcast. So anyway, to, to wind back the clock, so professional golf, right? So um, professional golf has always been the, a, a story of, of tension, of a struggle between the top players, um, you know, the ones who generate all the TV eyeballs, who generate all the ticket revenue, who generate all the endorsement revenue, all the sponsorship revenue, between those guys and then kind of the average everyday tour pros, the mules, whatever you want to call them. Um, these two groups have always been somewhat in tension because – uh, over time, one thing has been consistent, whichever format professional golf takes, um, the, the top tour players always feel like 
they are getting taken advantage of, um, you know, by some of these no-name players who, you know, let's face it, if they if they walked into your living room this evening, you probably wouldn't recognize them or know who they were, um, you know, unless they were inside the ropes at a PGA Tour event. Uh, and that, I mean, I, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I follow golf very closely. I love golf, as I said, and really, I could only like identify, pick out of a lineup, maybe 25 or 30 of the top tour pros. The rest are just completely anonymous. But they're making millions of dollars a year, which kind of begs the question, why are they making that much money? And that, that's a question that the top tour pros have asked themselves uh, many times over the years. It really started uh, back in the 1960s. I believe it was 1968. Uh, Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer uh, launched a coup against the, the existing structure of professional golf. At that time, pro golf was still dominated by uh, club professionals, the PGA of America. Um, you know, your average golf professional who works like at a golf shop he was in charge. Uh, you know, really, he really had uh, a lot of power over these top tour professionals. And you know, when when professional golf events started to get put on TV, and there was more money and sponsors and revenue generated, uh, these top pros like Jack and Arnold, uh, you know, they realized, hey, we've got a lot, of, got a lot of leverage here, and we're not really exercising it. So uh, Arnold's top guy, Mark McCormick, um, you know, he was really the the, the brains of the operation, and, and he uh, was able to splinter off. Uh, these top tour pros from the PGA of America, and that's when the PGA Tour was really started. There was this bifurcation between uh, tour professionals, uh, touring pros, the PGA Tour, and the PGA of America, the club professionals. Um, and so that, that bifurcation really continues to this day. So, you know, things went on. You know, things were generally okay. The tour grew, revenue grew. There were some decent leaders there. Um, and then in the early 1990s, the number one golfer in the world, Greg Norman, um, you know, kind of had another one of these moments. He's an Australian. He, he thought that, um, you know, his, uh, his contributions to professional golf were not being properly valued. He thought there was more of an opportunity for a world golf tour. And the tour was able to head off that, um, that threat. And one of, the, one of the ways in which they did that um, was starting the World Golf Championships, the WGCs. Uh, they created these no-cut uh, guaranteed purse, uh, guaranteed money uh, for appearances, uh, tour events. And that's how the WGCs came into being. Um, because if you really think about it, it's kind of a, you know, pro golf is kind of strange. You, know, you have these top tour pros like Tiger when he was healthy, Rory, Phil Mickelson, uh, John Rahm, Brooks Kepka, whoever. You know, these guys, they, they show up to a tour event and, you know, they're the draw. You know, these, these top guys, you know, they're the reason why people are tuning in on TV, the reason why fans show up to the event, they, they spend money on concessions. It's why corporate sponsors want to get involved in the event because Tiger or whoever's going to show up. But then if Tiger or these guys, if they have a couple of bad days on the golf course, they, they miss the cut and walk away with zero dollars, even though they brought all this revenue to this to this event. Um, you know, so in a, in a true you know, free market environment, these these top players will be able to, to generate appearance fees you know, just for showing up. Um, you know, but the PGA Tour through its 501c6 nonprofit structure, they were able to prevent these top players from getting appearance fees, and that was kind of a long, a long, uh, a long time uh, source of tension between some of the top pros and you know, kind of the everyman, uh, the everyman tour pros, the, the 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 journeyman, if you will, the mules. So anyway, um, the, the the tour was able to head off the Greg Norman threat, and then everything really changed when Tiger Woods came into being. So. Um, you know, really, there's there's professional golf before Tiger, and there's professional golf with Tiger, and now we're moving into professional golf after Tiger. Okay, and so 
you know, with Tiger Woods, professional golf became must much watch must watch TV. I mean, I, I'm in this category as well. I mean, when Tiger Woods was playing in a tour event, you know, whether it was a major or not, I was watching on TV because I love to watch Tiger Woods. That was not the case before Tiger Woods. And then now, now that Tiger Woods is no longer really a factor due to age and injuries, um, you know, the tour has built up this massive infrastructure, these massive purses, um, these massive uh, schedules and all these, you know, they're, they're paying all these guys millions of dollars or they're, they're, they have the ability to go out there and earn millions. They have the, you know, the most generous pension plan, retirement plan in all of professional sports. And now Tiger Woods isn't around anymore. And so now the, the, the professional golf fan is kind of reverting back to the way things were before 1997. And they're really only watching the majors. Um, you know, and that's, I'm, I'm kind of in that category too. I mean, I, I consider myself kind of a casual golf observer. I love playing golf, but I'm not going to watch golf on TV unless it's a major championship. And most, most golf fans are, are just like that. I mean, the people who watch these average tour events uh, on TV every week are mostly uh, very old. Um, you know, the tour is no longer capturing that younger demographic now that Tiger's out of the game uh, or, or basically out of the game. And so the, 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 the tour has really had to adjust and, and the leverage, um, you know, really has, has tipped in the favor of these top tour pros, um, you know, the guys who are generating all the money. And, you know, Phil Mickelson has been someone who he, he kind of picked up the torch from Greg Norman, you know, of, of the guy who was quietly kind of behind the scenes maneuvering, trying to get more money into the pockets of the guys who were actually generating that revenue. There's nothing wrong with that morally. Um, you know, but it, Phil has always felt like the top tour pros were being taken advantage of. They, they weren't generating enough money for themselves. Uh, the PGA Tour was becoming this bloated organization. I mean, the commissioner, Jay Monahan, is making $14 million a year, flying on private jets. You've got hundreds of employees. And, and, and Phil's just you know, looking around like, you know, we're just, you know, I'm generating all this money, and it's going into this machine, this bureaucratic, you know, morass, this swamp, that I really don't have any control over and doesn't necessarily represent my interests as, as a top player on tour. So that was, that was, you know, some of the controversy and that's, you know, that brings us to, to live golf. So what is, what is live golf? So live golf was started two years ago. The CEO is Greg Norman. And really all you have to know about live golf is that it's bankrolled by the government of Saudi Arabia through their public investment fund or PIF. The PIF has over $600 billion assets under management. They have plans to grow it to, excuse me, over a trillion dollars by 2025 uh, through some sale of the, of the shares of Saudi Aramco, their, their, their state um, oil company. So, I mean, basically they have unlimited resources when it comes to professional sports. And the PIF, um, they've been making investments uh, into certain Western companies uh, like Uber and Boeing. Uh, they've invested into sports. Uh, into the English Premier League soccer, uh, into Formula One racing, and now into professional golf through Live Golf. And the reason, you know, the PIF, the Saudis, they're not necessarily after a rate of return on their investment. Really what they're after is, is access and legitimacy. You know, the Saudis are looking to diversify their, their empire away from oil and gas um, and, and protect themselves, um, you know, by creating allies, and not just among uh, heads of state and governments, but among um, you know, high-profile, blue-chip American and Western corporations. And there's really no better way to do that than by investing in sports. You know, that's how you get a seat at the table. That's how you get access. Uh, everyone loves, uh, you know, to be involved uh, in sports, whether from as, as a fan or as a corporate sponsor. And that's really what the Saudis through the PIF are after through Live Golf. And so they started this new professional golf league 
and they were very successful. They they poached a lot of the top players: Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, um, Cameron Smith. You know, a lot of these top guys, a lot of major champions: uh, Bubba Watson, Patrick Reed, Sergio Garcia. You know, they got a lot of these top players. Um, you know, to 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 come with them, and they Bryson DeChambeau, um, and they did so by offering them you know huge sums of money to to leave the PGA Tour and come play for Live. Um, and the PGA Tour, you know, the, the, the way they responded to this threat initially uh, was pretty disgraceful. You know, they, they kind of took a, a page out of the left-wing media playbook, and they, they tried, their first tactic was, um, you know, to virtue signal and, and use, try to leverage the genuine grief from the 9-11 families, uh, you know, families of, of people who died in the 9-11 attacks in the World Trade Center or on the airplanes or in the Pentagon um, or wherever, and you know, they, they, they tried to say that, you know, somehow if you're supporting this live golf endeavor, then you are pro hijacker. You know, you're, you're pro 9-11, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's shameful. It's, it's one of the most embarrassing and pathetic things I've ever seen anyone do. Um, and but that's what Jay Monahan, the, C, the, the, the CEO of the PGA Tour and all these uh, the PGA Tour adjacent media personalities, that's, that's what they were doing. Um, they were they were wrapping themselves in the flag and saying that hey if you support live or if you support competition in golf if you support um, you know something new in the world of professional golf um, then you're some kind of an anti-American pro Saudi terrorist that's what they were saying um, so anyway uh, live um, had their first season kind of a half season in 2022 and then they were off to the races in 2023 they got a TV deal with the CW I mean they weren't generating a ton of eyeballs but again that wasn't really the the intent of the Saudi PIF really they just wanted to get a seat at the table they wanted to wedge their way into professional golf and see what happened and what happened was you know the, really everything kind of came to a head a couple of weeks ago and on June 6th uh, on CNBC, there was an announcement. Uh, Jay Monahan sat there with Yasser Al-Rumiyan, the, uh, the, the chairman of the PIF, and they announced that there, there was essentially a merger. Now, a merger is not exactly um, the textbook definition of, of what's happening here. Really, what's happening is the PGA Tour and, and LIV, the PIF, are, are creating a new joint venture. You know, Right now, it's just called NUCO. Um, the details are still being worked out. But essentially, they're creating this new vehicle. The PGA Tour is going to no longer be a 501c6 nonprofit. There's going to be a new for-profit entity, and the PIF is going to be the sole investor with the uh, first right of refusal for any additional investors in this new entity, this new commercial for-profit entity. So really, I mean, uh, it, it's still kind of unclear what's going what's to happen from here uh, in terms of what professional golf is going to look like. Really, the only guarantee is that it's going to look a little bit different. I mean, I, I think um, the, these two tours are going to work together. Uh, I think the live golfers, for the most part, are going to have the opportunity to play on the PGA Tour, and PGA Tour golfers are going to have the opportunity to play on live. I mean, really, there's just a lot of egg on the face of the you know PGA Tour players and and the commissioner and their uh, you know their bureaucrats and the media, especially those who were saying that you know any kind of uh, engagement with the Saudis was uh, a pro 9-11, a pro-terrorist position. And here they are, um, you know, embarking on this new business venture saying, well, just kidding, actually. Um, you know, we just said what we had to say. We were virtue signaling. I mean, really, you're, you're a sucker if you believed any of that in the first place. I mean, that's just how, how business is done nowadays in America. Um, you know, you virtue signal to the hilt. 
Um, and when you get called a hypocrite, you just kind of, you know, shrug your shoulders and move on. That's how politics works. That's how business works. You know, I didn't make up the rules, um, but that's just the way business is being done nowadays. Um, but anyway, that's, that's really what, what it looks like, um, you know, to come. I mean, really, this, from the PGA Tour's perspective, from a purely business perspective, it's not really the worst idea because, as I said, now that Tiger Woods is no longer involved in the PGA Tour, you know, they've suffered a catastrophic ratings collapse. You know, my, I've got family who's involved in the, the Byron Nelson tournament down in Dallas, um, and, you know, AT&T just dropped them as a sponsor. Um, you know, like, there's really just... when. When Tiger Woods is no longer really involved in the PGA Tour, no one's watching. And, you know, they renegotiated all these broadcast deals, um, you know, with the assumption that the ratings would stay high because Tiger Woods, especially after winning the, the Masters four years ago, everyone thought that Tiger, you know, had probably 10 more years of, of play left in him. Obviously, that all went away um, after the car accident in, in, in Los Angeles. Um, so really, you know, the, the PGA Tour was, they were bleeding money. You know, they, they had spent $50 million in legal fees, um, they were losing sponsors left and right. Um, they were having to jack up their purses to try to prevent golfers from defecting to live. And so really their business model had become unsustainable. So this new joint venture with the Saudis who have unlimited money, this really solves their pressing money concerns, their cash flow problems. Um, you know, it takes, a, it takes their main existential competitor off the board, at least for now. And it's, it's a win for, the, for, the, for, for Liv as well and for the Saudis. Um, you know, they get a seat at the table. They now have the legitimacy and the access they were hoping for in professional golf. And we'll see how it plays out. I mean, Jay Monahan is slated to be the CEO of this new entity. We'll see how that works out. You know, he, there was just this big story saying that he just had some kind of a health emergency. So we'll see if he's okay. Um, you know, the, the two kind of dynamos, the PGA Tour board, Ed Hurley, uh, who's a prominent M&A attorney, uh, and Jimmy Dunn. Those guys are going to be board members of this new entity. Uh, Yasser uh, Al-Rumiyan is going to be also a, he's going to be the chairman of this new board, of the new entity. Um, you know, so, so we'll see. I mean, right now it, it looks like the, the tour might have the upper hand in terms of leadership, but, you know, we'll see how things go over time. Uh, obviously, as this past year has shown that things can change rather rapidly, especially when you have, um, you know, really a, 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 an irrational actor, so to speak, um, that is not really responding to market forces, that is the Saudi PIF. Uh, again, they're not really necessarily after a rate of return. They're not just lighting money on fire, but their, their goals are not necessarily, um, you know, making money immediately off this new professional golf entity. Um, so that's really the lay of the land, and it's really exciting. It's really interesting. Um, you know, as a, as a former professional athlete, someone who follows the business of sports very closely, these things are fun to watch. They're fun to observe. Um, it's exciting for me to see how these things develop. I mean, and really the lesson here is that, you know, you can only suppress market forces for so long. Um, you know, guys like Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, he was absolutely right in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he saw an opportunity. Uh, Greg Norman was right before him. Jack and Arnold Palmer were, were right before those guys. You know, this, there's this longstanding tension between the, the players who, who generate the eyeballs, who generate the revenue, uh, who are really the forces behind, um, you know, the, the dollars and cents of, of professional golf. Um, and these other guys, you know, the, the 150 other tour pros who, you know, make uh, in the low seven figures a year, but, you know, outside of their family and friends, no one knows who the hell they are. Um, so that kind of a situation was, was never sustainable. It was never going to last forever. Um, and I think it's a good thing that eventually professional golf is going to get to a place where, you know, the real top-name players – um, are, are experimenting with new formats. Um, they're doing things that 
um, can hopefully generate interest outside of the four major championships. I mean, I, you know, I've always kind of looked at golf kind of like tennis. I mean, really no one cares outside of the four majors, um, you know, but you know, Hey, I, I'm all for experimentation. I'm all for these guys trying to, to find value where there pre previously wasn't any. Um, and, and really it's also been exciting just to see, um, you know, a lot of these left wing virtue signalers in the media and the golf establishment, uh, just kind of have their, their noses rubbed in this. Um, you know, it really, you know, when I first made some positive comments about live on Twitter about a year ago, you know, just the, the bots, you know, everyone just that they're propaganda. I mean, everyone is just so propagandized, you know, like, like I had so many people who, Oh, you know, where are you? Are you pro Saudi? I mean, they just, they regurgitate talking points they're exposed to on ESPN sports center or golf channel or whatever. And, you know, just you, you can instantly see who's able to think for himself and who's not. And I'm not a live fanboy either. I mean, I, I appreciate the, the innovation. I appreciate the team concept. Um, I like to see people trying new things. And, and, and I, what I really respect are the top players who have the guts, people like Phil, to stand up and say, hey, you know, there's a problem here. You know, we're, we're not receiving all of our market potential. You know, everyone is achieving their market value in the system except for us. Um, you know, there, there's, there's this bloated PGA tour organization with people like Jay Monahan making $14 million a year flying private everywhere. And, you know, what is he doing for me, for the player who's generating a lot of the revenue, a lot of the eyeballs, a lot of the attention. Um, so yeah, it, it's a really interesting, uh, case study in the business of sports, uh, you know, PR media management, media manipulation, if you will. Um, and just so from, from someone with my background, my interest, um, I, I've been following this very closely and, you know, really, I guess the last thing that I'll, that I'll, I'll, I'll touch on here kind of going forward is, you know, it's still somewhat unclear, um, the regulatory hurdles that this new enterprise has to, has to, has to clear. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. This thing is going to get stonewalled, um, you know, by the DOJ or the FTC, uh, or by the player advisory board on the PGA tour. I mean, first of all, uh, like I said, you know, Ed Hurley, he and Jimmy Dunn, I mean, Hurley, he's one of the top. Uh, M&A attorneys in the country. He's at Wachtel. I mean, you know, this guy wouldn't have put something together that was going to get that was going to get rejected by by the FTC or the DOJ. Um, you know, the PGA Tour, it, it stands to mention, was under um, a Department of Justice investigation uh, for anti-competitive practices. Again, I mean, the, the PGA Tour operated under this weird 501c6 nonprofit structure, um, but they were also trying to ban some of their members from competing on live. I mean, like, you know, that, that's not, that's not really the actions of a charity. So, um, you know, this, this DOJ investigation should go away with this new business entity being formed, but we'll see. I mean, you know, there was, you know, there were some whispers, uh, on, on Capitol Hill about anti-competitive practices. And then, you know, now these two entities are consolidating into one essentially. Um, so I'm not really sure how that solves the anti-competition anti problems, um, you know, but the, the tour has had lawmakers on Capitol Hill quash their legal problems in the past, um, you know, and, and that was the stuff brought on by the Greg Norman World Golf Tour uh, um, kerfuffle in the early 90s, you know, but that was when lawmakers on Capitol Hill were, you know, they, they looked at the tour more favorably, and I'm not sure, if, I'm not so confident they're going to look upon, um, you know, a new investment from the Saudi government um, as something they want to, to, to rubber stamp. So we'll see. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, there's a lot of things still to be determined. But um, overall, again, I'm really excited by this. I think it's very interesting. Uh, it's something that's piqued my interest as a former athlete and someone who tried, uh, at least in a small way, to, uh, to talk amongst uh, you know, other current athletes in the NFL locker room about the business side of our game. So it's, it's fun to see players like Mickelson and others um, get involved in the business side and, and, and shake things up. And Norman, 
Um, and I, I'm very excited to see where this thing goes. So we'll be following this story closely. Um, as you could probably tell, this, this stuff really interests me. And uh, if, there are more, if there are more updates down the road, uh, I'm certainly going to comment on it. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.